Wow. So, so Drenthe <laughs> was basically the Afval Australia of the Netherlands. <laughs> it basically was, yeah. It's Friday, March 5th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Blocker Speed Data, and with me today is Gordon Derek, contributing editor at Dutch News and Popol Pandemic Correspondent. <laughs> yeah, you, I saw this coming, yeah. Yeah, you, you learned a new word uh, this week, didn't you? A new phrase. Well, not this week. I've been learning it um, for the last few months. I, I just noticed this expression that's popped up a lot more in the media. I think I must have heard it before, but it's suddenly in every newspaper item about um, lockdown rules and um, any kind of um, business or group of people who want to uh, want to get back to work or get back to playing sports or something. They always say they said there's a phrase they use in Dutch. I quite like says the stand to popelen. Like yeah. uh, you know, like like cafe owners stand to bubble on Obertkan, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, d- yeah. I just haven't yeah. seen. I don't remember seeing this phrase before Corona, and suddenly it's everywhere. It's, it's kind of the, the English equivalent is like you're itching to get started with something. But I like it. It's good. It is. A, it is a lovely, lovely expression indeed. Um, yeah, I looked the etymolo- etymology uh, up for you, and mm. it is basically a. Oh, and I forgot the word for this. Um, what's a word called that describes the sound or uh, uh, it's, it's like an onomatopoeic on- word onoma- yeah. yeah exactly yeah. that's the word yeah. I was looking for I'm not going to repeat it because I will probably not pronounce it correctly <laughs> uh, but it basically means uh, it has the same origin as borrele so, yeah. so to uh, to simmer uh, and uh, yeah it basically means that you are uh, exciting to um, you can't uh, wait until uh, yeah you yeah. can finally do something yeah yeah exactly you can't hold yourself back it does kind of when I hear it it does sound like uh, the sound of someone popping up and down on the spot you know like yeah exactly the, you, know, like yeah. You, you, you want to run but you can't kind of thing exactly yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah but it's, it's a very nice phrase but it's just kind of a bit of an oddity than the scene and it's always a stand up sometimes you see it shortened they say you um yes um there's a popular or means to do them but i don't think that's right you should say stand popular exactly but, uh, yeah. yeah yeah it has nothing to do with roman catholicism no it's no just, that's the other thing yeah yeah, yeah. But, but yeah yeah but i thought you might call me the popal pals as a <laughs> the popal pope wow yeah the popal pope yeah that would be even better a better a uh, better title indeed yeah uh, and how's your blocker speed dating going then well uh we will hear about this more later in the podcast but the shops yeah. finally reopened or sort of uh you have to yeah. uh, make an appointment if you want to uh to go to a shop uh mm. and i really needed a uh, a uh, what's it called a piping bag something you use yes uh, yeah it's called a piping bag yeah yeah, for making yeah. like it's just like when you're making cakes and you're icing your cake. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I was uh, I was baking something the other week and uh, my piping bag uh, uh, I couldn't use it anymore. It was too old. So, uh, but all the shops were closed. So I had to. Uh, I was forced to use the uh, the very cheap supermarket version of it, and it was just an absolute <laughs> disaster. So I yeah. I really needed a replacement, and uh, I thought, yeah, it's it cost like five euros or something, and to have it delivered for five euros that just it's a little bit crazy. So I uh, I just uh, made an appointment with blocker uh right before we recorded and uh, now i have a fresh uh, a fresh new piping bag oh, i had to good. leave within 10 minutes they were very very uh, explicit yeah. about it they wanted yeah. the next customer to come in yeah i, I kind of say i kind of i haven't done this yet but i sort of like the whole idea of um, going to shops by appointment i imagine they kind of usher you in the door and uh, they should do it properly you know they should give you a cup of tea or something and serve it on a silver <laughs> plate so you sort of feel, you feel really privileged to be allowed yeah. to go into your to go into your blocker because let's face it who would have thought 12 months ago that people would actually be making appointments <laughs> to go into blocker you know. <laughs> no, yeah, so so much has changed since uh, <laughs> since twelve months ago. Yeah, and I love yeah. that they uh, they had blocked the entrance uh, because you know it, it has a very wide entrance usually, and they blocked it with these enormous baskets where usually they have the uh, skippy balls in it, uh, yeah. so you couldn't uh, y- 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 you couldn't enter uh, by accident. And they they had this um, the roll cover right in front of the opening where you are allowed to go, but you had to uh, you had to. Uh, You know, you had to wait until someone uh, from uh, one of the blocker employees uh, rolled it away for you, and you could enter. So that Ah. was uh, it. Was a very fun experience. Yeah, very good. Well, speaking of things going round in circles and absolute disasters, (laughs) uh, that brings us on to the uh, op-ed for the week quite nicely. So take it away, Paul. (laughs) Wow, this is uh, nicely done. Nicely done. 
Ja, um, ja, het zou natuurlijk een uh, recurring segment on this podcast. Uh, outrage over a very bad graph. Uh, this time it wasn't me, it was you. Uh, we have to. <laughs> yes. uh, so the, that was a nice change. Um, uh, and me also and the, and the whole of the internet. Yeah. And the whole internet, yeah, because uh, the internet was outraged. Uh, because in the weeks before the election, current affairs show Newsuur invites all political leaders on the show for an interview. And on Tuesday, it was Partij van de Dieren leader Esther Auerhans' turn, and she was asked to comment on the fact that a disproportionate high percentage of her party supporters will refuse to get a vaccine against Corona. And to illustrate this fact, Newsuur used the most dreadful graph we have ever seen. <laughs> it was was a, it was a pie chart that supposedly compared the vaccine refuses of other left-wing parties, but the total didn't add up to 100%. It was also a mysteriously uh, unlabeled slice, which was blank, and uh, the average number was shown uh, as well, and the PVDA share missed a percentage sign, so it was a complete disaster. Uh, yeah. And basically, they'd used the, the wrong type of graph. They should have used a bar graph. And uh, yeah, as I said, Gordon was the first one to notice it, but soon many others on Twitter followed. And even the director of the uh, statistics agency uh, made a nice little uh, 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 thread about uh, how to use a pie chart correctly. Yeah, indeed. And uh, I think a newsier actually, the, 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 the um, uh, newsier staff got a lot, quite a lot of flack of this and uh, got a bit irate about it on Twitter. And they, they did admit that they'd, it was a mistake and they'd, uh, they'd kind of hit the wrong button in Excel or something. Yeah, something like making, that. They, they, they were making it at speed and uh, it wasn't supposed to be this donut wheel, but it just looked dreadful. And it was also, the, the, I mean, that was bad, but also the color scheme was just dreadful as well. Yeah. It just Everything about it looked, uh, and, and the typeface they used. It just, yeah, it just and then the, the, they also missed a percentage sign and uh, it was just, <laughs> a complete disaster yeah yeah so that was uh, yeah so, so but so for, was at first a... i thought at first i thought it was a pie chart that sort of uh, of all the people who refused to uh, get a vaccine 27 percent of them vote for partij for dira initially i thought that was what they were were trying yeah. to illustrate but that wasn't the case it was 27 percent of the uh, partij for the dira voters will refuse it and uh, 11 percent of the pvda voters will refuse it so it the pie chart just didn't make any any sense or actually it was a donut uh, donut chart there's a donut yes donut wheel yeah so yeah so there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of commentary by uh yeah the sort of statisticians i mean i, I don't i have no kind of background or uh, the, the in statistics at all and i could spot straight away that it was the wrong type of chart so yeah it was a pretty uh, uh glaring error yeah pretty embarrassing for news here this week, hairdressers reopened in the Netherlands. We got good news from Leiden. Uh, the political leaders had their first televised debate and something happened in Drenthe. And that's just news in itself, isn't it? If something happens in Drenthe. Uh, grab your red pencil because in the second half of the podcast, we give you a crash course on elections in the Netherlands. Have you lost your lockdown locks yet? Hairdressers reopened this week as part of a small relaxation of the coronavirus rules. Shops can also open to small numbers of customers by appointment only, as we discussed, uh, but only two people at a time per floor for at least 10 minutes, and you have to book at least four hours ahead. People under 27 can train for team sports without social distancing, but competitions are still banned, and other contact professions such as nail studios and beauty salons have also reopened, and driving lessons have resumed, so it'll uh, be more dangerous on the roads. And I have to admit that I do think that it is uh, a, a scheme by Mark Rutte. He, he just looked at the in the mirror at himself and he thought, there's no way I can campaign with this haircut, and that's the reason why he reopened yeah. the hairdressers. That's my theory. Yeah, exactly, especially Hugo de Jonge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. The number of times they're going to be photographed in the next couple of weeks and, and appear on television. <laughs> um, but uh, sex workers have to remain closed, right? Yes, indeed. And they're not happy about it. So they staged a peep show protest in The Hague on Tuesday <laughs> afternoon to draw attention to their plight. They sort of put a peep show on wheels and uh, wheeled it out in front of the Binnenhof. Hmm. Not only are they banned from working, but most of them aren't eligible for financial support either because uh, often they're not uh, registered with the uh, Kammer van Koophandel. Donna, a sex worker from The Hague, told Omroep Vest it made no sense that a masseur or beauty specialist can spend two and a half hours with their clients in a small room, but her colleagues can't. But if you're not registered at the Kamer van Koppel, then you're not the legitimate business, aren't you? Well, yeah, that's, uh, the, the, that, that is kind of the nub of the problem. And uh, often uh, they're, they're not uh, registered for 
I think, uh, yeah, um, I'm not exactly sure what the reason is that they're not, not registered with the Camel Coal Council, mm. but uh, yeah, that often means that, yeah, that they're not eligible for all kinds of uh, subsidies and uh, they're not eligible for corona support either. I think you're just making the point that, it, 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 that, that, that they've been hit twice because um, they can't work and they don't get any money from the government either. So they're just yeah. being completely left in the lurch. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, but there were also more people that were protesting, weren't there? Yes, because uh, bar and cafe owners uh, put out their tables and chairs uh, this Tuesday to put pressure on the government to let them reopen. They weren't allowed to actually serve any customers, uh, but uh, they did come up with some creative solutions. I think uh, one uh, cafe owner in uh, Breda uh, put out uh, inflatable dummies around his table and served <laughs> them uh, cups of coffee and uh, slices of apple tart. Uh, so the next stage of the lockdown uh, from March 15th uh, will be outlined at a press conference on Tuesday, so they're obviously putting pressure on the government to uh, uh, include them in the next easing of restrictions. And a poll by NOS suggested 6 in 10 people support the idea of reopening the bars, even though we're still getting around 4,500 cases a day. One measure that's already been extended is the ban on flights from and to the UK, South Africa and South America. You won't be allowed to travel to those countries until April the 1st at the earliest. The outbreak management team said not enough people were observing the quarantine rules to allow people to travel safely. So, Yeah, and I believe that uh, the entire town of Klasina Veen in Drenthe also uh, rebelled because they, uh, the shop owners over there, uh, all of them uh, decided to reopen for an afternoon. Yes, that's true. So another thing that happened in Drenthe. Yeah, so it's all happening in Drenthe this week. Yeah, yeah indeed. Um, yeah. And are we likely to see any further easing of restrictions next week? Well, that all depends on the infection numbers. And to be honest, they're not going too well. Uh, in the last weekly report by the uh, Public Health Agency, RIVM, the number of confirmed cases went up by 7%. Um, and they warned that uh, we were looking at uh, potentially the start of a, of a third wave. Uh, the reproductive number R is back up above 1, uh, although that's backdated to February the 12th. Uh, and that applies to all variants of the virus, including the more established variants, which had been declining up until recently. Hmm. Uh, and you also, if you look at the hospital numbers, you see that the number of patients in hospitals back up to nearly 2,000 again at the start of this week. Uh, but it's not all bad news uh, because uh, the, there was a heavy increase in um, uh, new cases in people under 20. And that's uh, got a lot to do with the fact that children are being tested a lot more now they're back in school mm. as part of the safety measures. So that was about 25% increase in that age group. But in the, uh, the among adults, uh, we saw much more modest declines, about 3 to 5%. Obviously, any increase in a lockdown is not good news because the idea of a lockdown is to make the cases go yeah. down. But um, it's not as bad as uh, perhaps it looks. And also, it's a very different picture in the group that's being vaccinated. In the over 70s, we've seen infections decline by around 15%. Um, and there are also fewer infections in nursing homes. Deaths went down last week by around 25%. And the number of deaths in nursing homes, which was around 50 a day in January, is now down into single figures. So there are a lot of evidence that the vaccinations are really making a difference. And uh, hopefully, as the vaccines get rolled out, um, we will start to see uh, infections drop as well. Yeah, exactly. Vaccines work, people. Yeah, get yourself vaccinated. Yeah, and that brings us to uh, to the vaccines. Um, yeah, it took more than two months, but the Dutch coronavirus vaccination program is finally picking up speed. Uh, up to Thursday, over 1.4 million vaccination doses were administered in the Netherlands, which translates to 8.2 per 100 people. Or at least that is according to the latest estimations by the government. Um, remember, there's a difference between uh, the estimated number of uh, vaccines in the Netherlands and the actual confirmed number. Um, mm. a little yes, over no, they also haven't quite said exactly how many people have been vaccinated either. This is how many doses. So how many doses it is indeed. Yeah. 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 Uh, a little over a million are actually confirmed by the local health boards and that brings the vaccine rate at 5.8 doses per 100 people. The Netherlands is currently vaccinating people aged 60 to 64 with the AstraZeneca two-dose vaccine via their huisarts or general practitioner. And meanwhile, the Dutch cabinet has asked the National Health Council if the AstraZeneca vaccine can also be used on people over the age of 65. Initially, there were concerns about its efficiency among older people, but researchers in Scotland and England have concluded that the vaccine is a effective among the over 65s after all. Um, if this is indeed the case, the Netherlands can speed up the vaccination program as a whole, Health Minister Hugo de Jonge said on Wednesday. Right, and uh, there's also been some uh, good news from Leiden as well. 
That's right, because all eyes are on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which was partly developed in Leiden. Um, I was wondering if there is a difference between the Janssen vaccine or the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, but there isn't. The, the Leiden... No, Janssen is a doctor Massipay of Johnson & Johnson. Exactly, and that was yeah. where my confusion was uh, coming yeah. from. Um, yeah. yeah, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, or we're just going to call it the Janssen vaccine because yeah. we are in the Netherlands. Yeah, we should call it the Janssen & Janssen vaccine, although exactly. the Tintin vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> the Tintin vaccine. The, 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 the Kaufje the, 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 yeah, the, the spout. <laughs> Kaufje spout, yeah. That's an that excellent name indeed. Yeah, the, 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 <laughs> one of the plus sides of this vaccine is that it is a one-shot vaccine uh, and has been yeah. approved in the United States and it is expected to be cleared by the European Medicines Agency next week. So then uh, we can use it in the Netherlands as well and in uh, the rest of Europe. The Netherlands has ordered 11.3 million doses of the Janssen vaccine. Uh, Health Minister Hugo de Jonge is optimistic that everyone who wants to be vaccinated against Corona will be able to have at least the first shot by by early July. But he also said that uh, deliver, if deliveries fall short, uh, delays will be inevitable. So uh, yeah, he already um, he already tried to uh, uh, to downplay his promise. Uh, yeah, so, uh, he, he, yeah, he's got his excuse in early, which is always Indeed. Uh, a good thing to do if you're a politician. Speaking of ropey <laughs> promises, the first leaders debates <laughs> of the election campaign took place this week. On Friday afternoon, the leaders crossed swords on MPO Radio 1, um, and on a Monday night, RTL staged the first TV showdown between the six largest parties. The two-hour event did you watch the, Did you watch it? I did watch the RTL. Uh, the the entire yes. two-hour thing? I did, yeah, although there's a lot of adverts in it. So, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you could, you, I mean, you could, never mind making a cup of tea, you could basically sort of uh, cut your meal uh, in one of the advert breaks <laughs> and then come back to it and you wouldn't have missed anything. Uh, it was broken down into five themed debates uh, with party leaders invited to agree or disagree with a series of propositions on the economy, coronavirus, uh, nuclear power and some other issues. It didn't really produce any clear winner, but there were some notable clashes. Uh, leader Sigrid Kaag called out Geert Wilders for facilitating discrimination after Wilders said the only person of colour he wanted to defend was Sverta Piet, which is a, probably the most cringe-making yeah. uh, uh, moment of the entire, uh, the entire debate. Vodka uh, Hoogstra accused Mark Rutte of being too generous to big business and driving up inequality, which is uh, quite startling coming from Vodka Hoogstra. That drew a rebuke from Lilian Marinesen, uh, who said this was basically two uh, identical men uh, arguing uh, from the same perspective and pointed out Hoogstra had scrapped raising the minimum wage from the CDR's manifesto. And Links leader Jesse Klaver said Rutte was being dishonest by suggesting the Netherlands needed more nuclear power to achieve its green energy targets. Kach was the only leader who favoured vaccination passports as a way out of lockdown. Klaver said that would mean pink pop with an audience full of 80-year-olds. Another cringe-worthy moment. <laughs> it was. Uh, the highlight, though, is arguably a series of one-on-one -on -one confrontations between leaders and individual voters. Uh, in what yeah. was uh, the most painful um, confrontation, I think, Mark Rutte came up against Christy Rongen, one of the victims of the tax office scandal, the Tuslachen affair, that brought down his cabinet six weeks ago. She said parents who were suspected of fraud were left like rats in a trap and asked Rutte why he was standing for re-election even though he'd resigned. What if it still isn't sorted out a year from now, she asked, will you take responsibility then? Yeah, it was uh, 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 indeed these uh, these one-on-one -on -one confrontations were the highlight of the of the debate. Uh, there was there was also some discussion about how well Rutte did in this uh, in this one-on-one -on -one, uh, bit. Uh, wh what did you think? I I thought that it wasn't as bad as it could have been. I think uh, there was no no way that he uh, he he uh, he um, uh, he could have resolved the issues of this of this uh, woman uh, uh, while he was standing there. But I do think that it wasn't as bad as 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 it could have been it, I think yeah, it was the, I, the, the best positive outcome for Rutte it was a really profoundly awkward moment for him obviously because he was being confronted on the issue that his cabinet resigned over and he, you know all he could do really was stand there and admit that they'd made mistakes and they would try to fix them there's not really much more he could, else he could have said and obviously she, she yeah, um, it became yeah, the, 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 there's a phrase she used during the um, uh, during her kind of two minutes wasn't there where she, she said uh, I'm just going to stop you there wasn't it yeah. because Rutte started saying um, uh, yes we, we've been consulting with parents and this and that and the other and started kind of retreating into uh, yeah, okay, excuses a bit um, she said uh, she just cut him short and said I'll stop you that was quite uh, good theatre but yeah, she cut, she cut him short almost the same way as Mark Rutte once famously <laughs> did with uh, Donald Trump in the Oval Office yeah exactly yeah it was one of those situations where it was, it was a no win for Rutte I mean he was just yeah. going to have to stand there and take his medicine I guess that's what he did so yeah. uh, I don't think it damaged him particularly it was, uh, but it was quite it, was, it made very good television indeed 
Um, and then Kate Wilders faced the Moroccan owner of a couscous bar, who asked why he was treating her like a second-class citizen. Um, and he, Wilders kind of responded by talking about uh, you know, Moroccans in criminal uh, in crime statistics and his usual uh, his usual stuff. Uh, she invited Wilders to sit down and talk about it more over a bowl of couscous in her cafe. Wilders said he'd be happy to go along, but he didn't want couscous. He'd rather take his own meatballs, which of course is a dish <laughs> that was imported from Turkey. Oh, is it? Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that's funny. It originated in Turkey, I think. Uh, I don't know how it <laughs> exactly got to the Netherlands, but uh, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, it's not the only thing that. Uh, originates from Turkey because uh, Sinterklaas originates from Turkey yeah. and uh, Tulpebolle I think as well so um, Tulips yes I do yeah so yeah a lot of stuff uh, comes from Turkey a lot of good stuff comes from Turkey yeah we, 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 owe a lot, we owe a lot to the Turks and Rutte also managed to annoy people in Groningen again Yes, it's becoming a bit of a running theme because uh, you might remember during the last election campaign, uh, Rutte faced himself with some angry voters from Kroninger who wanted answers oh, about yeah. um, compensation for damage caused to their homes by gas extraction and uh, the earthquakes that ensued. This time, Rutte put the uh, northern province in the spotlight uh, because he suggested it was a good location for a new nuclear power station because, after all, mm. it's a province of renewable energy. Now, as we've seen in Japan, absolutely no problems with locating a nuclear plant in an area that's prone to earthquakes. But um, the earthquakes in Kroning are not that powerful to destroy uh, nuclear power plants. But indeed, it is a little bit. Uh, even uh, so, you don't really want to take so. chances, do you? But yeah, after a tsunami, but the chance of, of a, but the chance of a tsunami in Kroning <laughs> is very, very small. Yes, uh, I suppose that's fair. But um, I guess it makes uh, smaller earthquakes cause damage in Kroning because the ground is much softer. So I guess yeah, that's, that's uh, right. a factor as yeah. well. But after a tsunami of negative reactions, Rutte said on Thursday morning he'd misjudged the situation and there was no local support for the project and Groninger would not uh, get a nuclear power station. No. So he backtracked. So, uh, lucky Groningers. Yeah, yeah, what did what did we think of 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 the new leaders? Remember, this was the first televised debate by uh, the new political leaders of the CDA, Wop Koekstra, of D66, Sigrid Kaag, but also of the SP. We tend to forget that, but Linia Marijnis have never campaigned in in a uh, general election before. I think uh, Lilian Marijnis of the SP was pretty much invisible in the entire debate. But I do think that um, Sigrid Kaag was a, was very surprising. She did very well. And Wopke Hoekstraat is surprisingly bad. So, um, yeah, I think the the opinions of a lot of people shifted because of this debate. At least yeah, mine did. I saw a lot. Yeah, definitely. I saw a lot of uh, praise for Kaag, certainly, in the aftermath of the debate. And I don't know if that's maybe just because I need to diversify my Twitter feed. But, uh, yeah, there was uh, <laughs> <coughs> a lot of people seemed to think that um, you know, Kaag had done very well and that Hoekstra hadn't done so well. Yeah, Marinus and I thought made some good points, but just didn't quite... I don't know. It's difficult. I mean, they're much the smallest of these six parties, the SP. I mean, yeah. Labour have overtaken them in the polls again. So maybe there's a sense that they're not as relevant as they might have been in the last campaign. But uh, yeah, and uh, and Wilders just kind of did his thing. Wilders and Rutte were kind of the two politicians who did what you expect them to turn up and do. Yeah. I don't think they yeah. so yeah, they, 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 they kind of held form. Hoekstra was maybe disappointing. Yeah, Hoekstra was disappointing. Claver was hit and miss, I think. Um, yeah, he. I think he, he disappointed me a bit as well, actually. I mean, he's quite experienced now, even though he's despite his age this is his second yeah. election campaign and uh, yeah Kach was uh, certainly very I mean I think her, her you know, again kind of taking the fight to Kit Wilders I think always scores well with Dejas' extra voters so I yeah. think she did well on that uh, in yeah. that sense yeah, yeah definitely and have we seen any big shifts in the polls yet not so far, really, I don't think. Um, I mean, if you look at Tom Lowes's polar polls, we've seen uh, there has been a definite slide in support for the Fefe Day, which is Mark Rutter's party. I think uh, it's back down under 40 seats now in most polls uh, when it's been over 40 uh, for really since the start of the pandemic. But I mean, that means yeah. it's still got that's still twice as many as any other party. Uh, second place is uh, the PFFA of Hit Builders. And then the CDR and the SP have maybe lost a seat you know, in some of the polls. Uh, other polls suggest Dezis Zestov may have picked one up. Uh, Labour, too, seem to be um, uh, yeah, opening up a gap on the SP. And at the bottom end, uh, Form for Democracy, uh, after their disastrous end of the year, seem to have uh, mm-hmm. turned things around a little because they're up to four or five seats. And a couple of new parties are in the frame. Uh, we're looking at possibly yep. 15 parties in Parliament, um, if the polls are accurate. One is Ja Ene Twintig, which was formed by forum representatives who couldn't stand here but is anti-Semitism. And the other <laughs> one is Fault, which I guess uh, is yeah. pan-European parties. I suppose you could call it Deis Essens for Millennials. Um, De Ene Twintig. 
Yeah, <laughs> I heard someone explain it as uh, but without the blood on their hands um, <laughs> but it is uh, it, it is doing pretty well and uh, from what I've seen from from uh, uh, from my bubble is that uh, a lot of people are saying that they're going to vote for Volt so uh, yeah they are certainly gaining momentum uh, if you ask me and uh, yeah I wonder how many seats they will get because uh, I just simply hear a lot of people that they're going to vote for that and uh, yeah I, th- I do think that one 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 seat yeah they currently poll that one seat might mm. be uh, might be a little bit too little yeah one seat maybe two seats so they i think they've run a pretty smart campaign so far they, they, they seem to be targeting young voters and that could be a smart move because um it, it, it looks as if turnout might well be down during uh, because of the pandemic and the people who are less likely to vote this time might be the older voters because they're worried about getting yep. infected so yep, maybe targeting indeed. people that voters in their 20 young yeah um uh, politically engaged voters in their twenties is a is a good way to go, but we'll see. Yeah, and um, yeah, the the most important question was: there any upheft? Mm. Yes, of course there was upheft. Of course oh, there was upheft, and of course it was about uh, Jesse Klaver. Oh, because the, uh, uh, because the, well, there was upheft around Wilders talking about Svartpiet. Say that as well, because he called Svartpiet a person of color. And of course, yeah, even though I do the, think that a lot of people simply decided to ignore this and just move on. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so there's a bit of up about that, but there's also Jesse Clath who fell into that classic politician's trap of trying too hard to sound like an ordinary person. <laughs> because uh, during the, the discussion on racial discrimination, Clath reached for a footballing analogy, but he skewed his chance horribly wide of the target. He said, quote, if Ronald Koeman only fields white players at this summer's European Championships, we won't win anything. It'll also be a huge <laughs> surprise because Kuman resigned as national team coach in August to go to Barcelona and he was replaced by Frank de Boer. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was an amazing moment uh, t- uh, when he said that. And uh, I looked at my Twitter and, and Twitter simply exploded with people who were, yeah. Uh, I mean, so many people follow football, of course. It's the most popular sport, and everybody noticed this mistake. And was uh, it was a little bit uh, was a little bit uh, awkward for him. I think. Yeah, it was quite embarrassing. Yeah, I also saw uh, someone t- uh, a parody account of uh, of Jesse Klaver tweeting a photo of uh, the Kuip uh, with the comment uh, "Oh, the Johan Cruyff Arena" with a hard eyes uh, emoji. I, I yeah. like that one as well. <laughs> yeah. If you depend on us to keep you informed about the election campaign, the coronavirus pandemic, and who's running the national football team, (laughs) why not consider sponsoring the Dutch News Podcast on Patreon? All new patrons get a new shout-out on the podcast, our undying gratitude, and the chance to ask us a question. This week we say hello and thank you to new patron Elena Vladimirova. Uh, I'm sure I've got pronounced that horribly wrongly, so I apologise, but thank you and welcome to you. Elena didn't have a question for us, but we do have one from one of last week's new patrons, Caterina Ferreira. Um, she tells us uh, she's from Lisbon in Portugal originally and has moved to Amsterdam in 2019 after previously being in Stockholm and London. And she says she's increasingly becoming a fan of the Dutch people, their personality and sense of humour. Um, and, and their uh, food as well, perhaps? or not? I didn't mention the food. No, funny mm. that. I, yeah. wonder, I wonder why. Yeah. I uh, didn't mention Dick Mass's films either, so we've so <laughs> got that to look forward to. Uh, your podcast is just what I needed to better understand the Netherlands until my Dutch is good enough to understand the news, uh, she said. She also asked a very important question, uh, Paul. Uh, why do you have to vote with a red pen? Well, um, if you have ever seen uh, a ballot sheet in the Netherlands, it is enormous. Um, hmm. There are hundreds and hundreds of candidates over there. You have to circle a tiny circle in front of your candidate's name. And I counted votes once. And if you are trying to count these votes, you it is essential that you see where the... Uh, which circle is is filled and if you do it with a black or a darker color you just simply don't see it on a black and white sheet the size of uh, of uh, of your of your of your dinner table uh, you just need a color that uh, that will stand out and red is uh, is the best uh, color for that right okay well we're going to get much much more into the all the ins and outs of uh, uh, how to vote uh, in the uh, at the end of this podcast so stay tuned for that Uh, If you'd like to join our exclusive band of well-informed patrons, log on to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash dutchnewsnl. Researchers from the University of Leiden, hey there's Leiden again, Leiden's doing well this week. 
Yeah, um, like Nandrenta, it's where it's all happening. Nandrenta, yeah. yeah. There, there are no researchers from Drenthe, though. No. Uh, researchers from the universities of Leiden, Utrecht, Groningen, uh, and also Yale and Oxford universities used an advanced scan technology to read a 300-year-old letter without opening it. The letter mm. is part of a treasure chest with 2,600 letters uh, written between 1689 and 1706, but never reached their destination. The chest was owned by Frenchman Simon de Brienne, who became postmaster of The Hague in 1676 and was responsible for postal traffic to and from France, the southern Netherlands and Spain. Uh, many of the letters have uh, been read, but some uh, 600 remained unopened because they were sealed using a complicated folding technique called letter locking and opening them would damage the paper. No envelopes were used in the 17th century and letter locking was used to protect the letter's contents from prying eyes. Only if the particular letter locking method used was known to the receiver, the letter could be opened undamaged. Uh, the team of scientists used a scanning technique called X-ray microtomography, which is usually used by dentists to analyze teeth. Um, and they combined this with an algorithm to unfold the letter digitally and read its contents. The letter they opened was written by Jacques Senac uh, to his cousin Pierre Le Père, a trader who lived in The Hague. He asked uh, for a watermarked death certificate of Daniel Le Père and asked him about his health as well. Um, the team of scientists now hope to read the other 600 letters. Hmm. Yeah, it's um, very, very interesting, and I um, on YouTube you can uh, you can see um, you can look up one of these letter locking methods. Um, uh, someone demonstrates how you do it, and it is pretty complicated with all sorts of complicated folding methods, but also incisions and basically you use hmm. uh, the paper of the letter itself to 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 seal it. And yeah. I sent these videos to Molly because I knew that she would really enjoy it, and she said this is better than porn. <laughs> Right, and also I'm, I, it, these letters they uh, were written to and from The Hague. Um, yeah. Do you remember when um, uh, Johannes and Cornelis de Witt were uh, lynched and uh, partly yes. eaten by an angry mob? Which year was yes. that, Gordon? Was that was that sixteen seventy two? Indeed, and that is yes. uh, exactly the period of times where these uh, treasures uh, are coming from. Uh, ah, these letters are coming from. So uh, yeah, a lot of interesting I'm stuff going on actually. Yeah, at that time it's obviously also also covers sixteen eighty eight when uh, the, the last time uh, Britain was invaded by the Dutch. So oh yeah. yeah. So uh, I wonder, I wonder what kind of, and also this, this method is used by um, by spies and also by uh, by uh, uh, musicians and other interesting uh, people. So yeah, these uh, these letters could contain uh, very interesting stuff. Motorists in Drenthe were baffled this week by the sudden appearance of a bunch of penguins by the roadside. These were not escapees from the corona-bound wildland zoo. These penguins were around a meter tall and made of wood. They popped hmm. up in various locations around the province, but particularly along the N34 road, which, as regular listeners will be aware, is better known as the Hunabet Highway. Police put up a notice on Twitter, and they were bombarded with replies from Ein Hunsutters out Laren from people who'd spotted the carved birds. The mystery was solved by Etefe Drenthe, who revealed they were the work of local artist Pascal Bunk from Stutzkanal. Of course. Yes. Bunk said he just wanted to put a smile on people's faces, and he'd been inspired by a song by René Jonker called Alster Liefde niet meer bestond, or If Love, if, if There Was No Longer Any Love. He Is that song said, about penguins? I have no idea if it's about penguins. <laughs> I've never heard it, and I'm not <laughs> sure either. I want to. <laughs> <laughs> he also said some of the penguins were moved by other people. I put them out in Exlo, and suddenly they turned up in Klasinefein. Or perhaps they went to Klasinefein because they heard the cafes were open there. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the yeah, things people yeah. do for excitement in Drenthe moving, <laughs> yeah, moving, exactly. moving about cardboard penguins or wooden penguins to Klasina Fein yeah interesting so um, uh, I wonder how, for how much money these uh, these uh, these mysterious penguins will sell on Marktplatz yeah indeed yeah, they'll turn up in people's gardens your, your corona penguin with less than two weeks to go uh, until the election, we thought uh, we, we, we finally uh, uh, give you a crash course on voting in the Netherlands and how the election work. Uh, and also uh, what will happen after the election, because uh, it will take a very long time until we have a new cabinet. Yeah, so the idea here basically just run through the whole election process, uh, because it's, uh, for people who are not familiar with it, whether you're yeah. voting for the first time um, or you're not voting, but you're just interested in following exactly what happens. First of all, what are people in the Netherlands actually voting? voting for 
Ja, we are going to elect all 150 members of the parliament. De Tweede Kamer der Staten-Generaal, as it is officially called. And this is very important to realize. We don't elect a cabinet. We don't elect the prime minister. Even though many people, including a lot of politicians, looking at you, Sigrid Kaag, and journalists, looking at you, Eén Vandaag, with your prime minister debate, seem to think this. We only vote the members of parliament. Indeed. And how does the electoral process actually work? Well, in the, in the Netherlands, we have a proportional system. Um, there are no electoral districts uh, with a single MP representing that district. Uh, all the votes in the country are thrown on one big pile. And uh, yeah, we basically look at uh, how many, uh, which share of the, of the votes a, a political party got. And that's the share of the seats it will get in the Tweede Kamer. And yeah, we have many, many, many political parties in this country. Uh, how, how many are registered this time, Paul? Do you remember? 38. 38, yeah. Or was it 37? But anyway, a lot. Uh, initially 89 registered, but only 30, uh, 38 got uh, the required amount of uh, paperwork and uh, uh, had the thousand uh, euros required uh, to, to participate. Um, but I, I often joke, you know, it is a fact that there are more bikes in the Netherlands than, than there are people, but it sometimes seems that there are also more political parties than people in the Netherlands because it's just yeah. such a crazy amount. Yeah, we, we will not see all 38 parties uh, that take uh, part of the election back in, uh, in, in the Tweede Kamer in The Hague. Um, currently, 15 parties are polled to get a seat in the Tweede Kamer, which is still an uh, absurd amount of parties. A party wins a seat if it passes the uh, Kiesdeler, uh, and that is the 1-105th uh, share of the votes. In other words, a number of voters represented by a single seat. Yeah, so it's uh, it's a simple system that produces incredibly complicated results, basically. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, and, yeah, and uh, it's, it's why you often see when you see opinion polls, they often talk about virtual seats because from the percentage uh, of support for a party, you can work out exactly how many seats that party will get. Because if uh, Mautwood's Fefe Day is polling uh, on 20% of the vote, it will get 30 seats. You just multiply everything by one and a half. Yeah, exactly, because uh, uh, we have 150 seats in, in the Tweede Kamer. It's not uh, 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 sometimes if you hear, oh, Mark Rutte gets 40 seats, that means he, have, he has 40% of the seats. No, that's not true. Mm. Um, but it is uh, important to, to remember that uh, the Tweede Kamer has 150 seats. Yeah, so no constituencies. Uh, it's all done by party lists. So how do they work? Yeah, all these parties have drawn up a list of candidates for the election. Uh, usually this list is uh, determined by a special party commission. Uh, members of the political parties often have the right to alter this list, so move someone up or down on the list. Um, then the list is sent to the Electoral Council, who will check if everything is in order and if all the required documents are there, uh, as well as the payments, uh, very important. And yes. if this is the case, then the party can take uh, part in the election. Um, this all happened in the beginning of February. Um, Political parties on the ballots are known as a list because they are a list of candidates. And on the ballot, all candidates are listed. Uh, and that results in this uh, huge ballot paper, the size of a bedsheet. And mm. um, I asked someone from a uh, from the website uh, candidate2021.nl um, how many people are actually eligible, uh, uh, how many candidates uh, do we have? And he said there are 1,579 people we can vote for. Wow, yeah. And you can vote for any one of those candidates as well, that's important. Exactly. You're not just voting for a party, you can actually choose an individual. Indeed. You, you, and your, fa your favorite candidate out of your party's list. Indeed, and that's why it's so important to have a color that stands out on this <laughs> on this uh, sheet. Otherwise, you have to uh, search uh, among these 1,579 candidates uh, for, a, uh, for a filled circle. Yeah, and also in election, many people will vote for the first candidate of a list. This person is the leader and the face of the party and often the best known figure. Um, usually three or three or four other candidates are, are known by the, by the public, but the vast majority of these candidates are virtually anonymous. Um, often the party will try to uh, put popular local politicians, such as an alderman or someone from a city council on the list, in the hope that this uh, candidate will generate more votes from his or her area, but this uh, effect is often very limited. Uh, and it might seem strange that the vast majority of candidates are completely unknown by voters to some, but I always try to explain this as um, people generally vote for a political party and what it stands for, rather than for individual politicians. Um, this distinction sometimes is hard 
hard to make because, for example, Geert Wilders and the PVV. Geert Wilders is the PVV, right? Mm. The, you can't yeah, literally, see the, he's the only member. Yeah. He is literally the only member of his political party. Um, and also the same holds for Thierry Baudet and Forum for Democracy. But uh, you actually can say this of Wopke Hoekstra and the CDA. Wopke Hoekstra is not the personification of the CDA. He's mm. just a random person that is now the leader, but uh, in a few years we have someone else. And the yeah. same holds for Sigrid Kaag and D66. And the candidates are ranked in order so, as well on, yeah. on each list. So, so what's the significance of that? Yeah, the order of candidates is important because this determines who will get a seat or not. Usually the number one gets the largest number of votes because he's the well, most uh, well-known person. Uh, but hopefully he gets more than enough votes for one seat. And what will happen is that his surplus will trickle down to candidates uh, lower on the list. So if a political party gets 10% of the vote, it wins 10% of the seats. So that is 15 seats and this will these will go to the first 15 candidates of the list is this always the case no um, if a candidate with a low position on the list is popular and manages to get 25% of the Kiesdaler, this person is regarded as a preferred candidate and this person will move up on the list to a place that will secure him a seat. This happened, for example, with uh, Pieter Omzicht in 2012. He was number 39 on the list but got enough votes for a seat, even though the CDA only won 13 seats in that election. Yeah, and do you know who missed out on a seat because of Vomsicht getting preference votes? Uh, no, I, I don't remember. Do you? Ah, yes, it was uh, Martijn van Helvert. Oh, really? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, you interviewed him uh, earlier this week. I interviewed him this week, so I looked, I looked up and happened to, I noticed that, uh, yeah, the, 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 yeah, that he was pushed out by Vomsicht. But then he came back into Parliament later, later on uh, during the session because another MP um, uh, resigned. Um, and then, of course, Van Helvet yeah. himself got in the next time with preference votes from Limburg. Yeah, yeah, he, uh, he's pretty popular in his area. So sometimes it yeah. is very beneficial. And Peter Omtzigt is very popular in Twente. Uh, so uh, yeah, that uh, that's uh, it, it could it could uh, secure you a seat if you are a popular candidate from uh, from a certain area. Okay, so so that's uh, the electoral system. Uh, what actually happens on election day, which is the seventeenth of March? Well, March 17th is the official election day, but this year, due to the corona pandemic, early voting is allowed. On the two days before that, uh, if you are eligible to vote, uh, you have automatically received a stamp pass from your municipality. That's the proof that you can vote. Um, that's a little piece of paper, and you have to bring it with you to one of the many, many, many polling locations uh, in your municipality. You are allowed to vote in any one of them in your municipality. Uh, the Stempos mentions a location, but that's simply the one nearest to your house. You're not, you don't have to, uh, to vote there. You can vote anywhere you want. Yeah, and there are often polling places at uh, like uh, convenient places like uh, railway stations and uh, yeah. like a large uh, schools are often um, polling stations as well. Yeah, and uh, nursing homes usually as well, but you yeah. know because of Corona, this is uh, this is uh, very limited. In Delft, they are using uh, churches as uh, as polling locations, which is usually not the case. So uh, yes. large uh, large areas, but you will uh, probably have received a list of all the places where you can vote in uh, in um, in your municipality. It's very handy that you are automatically registered. You don't have to do anything of it. You just uh, uh, you will receive your stamp pass no matter what, and you can vote. So that's very convenient indeed. And it's also important that you fill in the circle of your candidate if you are able to find him or her uh, with a red pencil. If you use something mm. else, then your vote is invalid. Uh, yeah. You can bring your own red pencil if you want. You don't have to use a pencil. You can also use a pen as long as it is red. Yeah, and they provide red pencils as well at the, um, uh, at the polling station. Yes, and this year you can even bring them, uh, uh, they hand them to you and you can bring them home. Because uh, yes, otherwise because, you have well, to they, clean they the pencils. People, I was going to say, they don't, want, they don't want people to reuse them because of coronavirus. Cause it's, uh, yeah, and, and there, there are, they've introduced a few restrictions, haven't they, that, uh, that, um, in terms of there's a one-way system at the polling place um, for, and uh, people have to queue uh, socially distanced, um, uh, and they're encouraged at all to come at the same time. Yeah, exactly. All sorts of precautions yeah. are taken. Yeah. Polling stations are usually open from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m., so you have the entire day to go. Um, yeah. And usually around 1 to 2 a.m. the results are known, but it is likely that this year it will be different because uh, the counting of the votes will be uh, difficult due to the corona restrictions. But uh, yeah. it's, we, we don't know yet how this will, um, how this will turn out. 
Yeah, of course, one other thing that's potentially going to be a factor is curfew, if that's still uh, in force uh, on polling day, because then uh, 9 p.m., of course, when the polling station is shut, is also the time you're supposed to be indoors. But they have said that if you're coming back home from voting, you won't be fined. That will be seen as a valid excuse to be outside. The curfew will be gedoogd, but only on this day. So once that's happened and all the votes have been counted, uh, what happens next? Yeah, immediately after the election, the process to form a new coalition will start. Uh, As we said, uh, we have many uh, political parties in the parliament. Nobody has an absolute majority. So that means that a coalition needs to be formed in order to get a majority. Um, Interestingly enough, the constitution doesn't say a word about the process, about the formation process, except Mm. that ministers will be appointed by the king. So strictly speaking, there are no rules whatsoever uh, what the process uh, should look like. But it is determined by convention over the centuries. until 2012, the monarch had an active role in the formation process, but this has been changed by the Tweede Kamer, who gave itself the role previously held by the monarch in an effort to make the process more transparent. Um, interestingly enough, a year later, Beatrix resigned. Uh, probably this was totally unrelated. Probably, um, yes. Although apparently she was very unhappy, wasn't it, about, about the fact that uh, her involvement had been scaled down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it is. Uh, it was uh, definitely... Um, the uh, yeah one of the only uh, times that the monarch had real power because uh, yeah we will go through uh, the, the the three stages of, of information process but uh, but the monarch had, uh, uh, had had pretty significant influence in these stages mm-hmm. so um, yeah she was uh, she wasn't very happy with it mm-hmm. um, yeah and of course the ultimate goal is to find a coalition of parties that has a majority in the Tweede Kamer but this is by no means required because again there are no rules. Mm-hmm. Um, the formation is uh, has three distinct stages. Uh, first, the Tweede Kamer will appoint a verkenner or a boy scout. No, yes. just <laughs> someone someone who will. Yeah, it's it, how would you translate verkenner? A scout, right? That's it. Uh, kind of, yes, yeah, a scout or um, yeah. Um, his job is basically to um, uh, to to, to uh, reconnoiter the um, uh, the parties. Yeah, so it's kind of like a uh, like consultant. Yeah, consultant almost. Kind of yeah, role. indeed. Yeah. Um, usually, this is a politician from the uh, the winning party of the election, and this person has the task to uh, talk to all political leaders of parties that uh, want a seat, and he or she will ask them what they think uh, of the election result and which coalition they think should be formed, and then the verkenner will uh, report uh, his or her findings to the Tweede Kamer. Um, she will report which coalition is most likely to succeed. And then the Tweede Kamer will appoint an informateur who gets the task to investigate this particular coalition. Um, he or she will uh, have talks with the leaders of the parties and will chair the negotiations between them. And before 2012, the role of the verkenner was assumed by the queen and the informateur was appointed by her as well. So that was really her uh, where she had uh, the most influence. The informateur phase usually takes very long and is characterized by absolute radio silence. Uh, Political parties will not comment on how the negotiations are going and what they are discussing, and only very small pieces of information will strategically leak to the press. Um, This is the point uh, where you see lots of reporters standing in front of uh, solid wooden doors for hours. Yes, and gates. uh, and uh, yeah. Usually this is during the summers and uh, in the spring and during the summer. So uh, there is nice weather. uh, But otherwise, it's a a very sad, um, sad scene to see (laughs) all these. uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. To see all these uh, journalists waiting uh, uh, in front of closed uh, 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 gates and, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, walking through bushes, uh, hoping to to snatch a photo of uh, Margaret and uh, other political leaders uh, t- uh, smoking a cigarette on, on a terrace or something. But yeah, these um, uh, if these parties uh, uh, do manage to come uh, to a coalition agreement, the formateur is appointed, so that's the third phase, and this is usually the person who will be the next prime minister, and he or she will form a cabinet uh, who will then be appointed by the king. And that's the end of the formation process uh, in, uh, in 10 minutes. But uh, mm. again, this usually takes months and months and months. Months. Last time it was over six months, wasn't it? Last time I think it was a record, wasn't it? It took over six months. The election was in March and the cabinet was sworn in in November. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but as I say, the process is finished basically when the coalition agreement has been agreed and signed by all the parties um, and then the ministers have been sworn in. Um, 
and then there's a little ceremony, isn't it, where they get to where the interesting bit is to see which ministers um, take a religious <laughs> oath and which ones take a secular oath. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which uh, minister wears childish shoes and which don't? Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the Bordes. The Bordes scene, yeah, yeah, the Bordes scene is a famous moment where they all stand on the red carpet in uh, in rows. Yeah, in front of uh, in front of the palace, yeah, and take yeah. a photo with uh, with the king. Yeah, that's it. Do we ha- do we yeah. have any more questions, Gordon? How many parties are we likely to need uh, in the coalition this time? Because last time it was four. It was a four-party coalition, which is uh, uh, unusual, and yeah. that was one of the reasons it took so long to put it together. Yeah, and also because um, uh, parties such as the Christian Uni and Desa they are very much apart from each other. So yeah, then it takes a lot of time to negotiate an agreement where both parties uh, uh, can agree with. But uh, if you look at the polls, then we are again looking at coalitions of at least four parties. And um, uh, uh, until something really dramatic happens in the coming two weeks, uh, it will definitely be four parties. And uh, 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 it is it is even possible that uh, the current coalition just will um, uh, will start over again and that we will have a, a, a cabinet with the same uh, same four parties that's a possibility yeah which is, which unusual, is also isn't it? very unusual very unusual yes I mean usually even if the if the largest party um, comes out top of the poll again then they, they tend to swap around the coalition partners because it tends to be that coalition, there's that saying isn't there is yeah which is the, 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 the smaller parties particularly who go into coalitions tend to lose support at the next election. But uh, all the all the coalition parties have held up quite well so far, which is yeah, they um, uh, they did. I see. think uh, I think only Desa Sestig is down a, a couple of seats now in the yeah, polls. But even but they're kind of coming back up again. I think yeah. in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. So so, um, so yeah, we we could look at uh, another coalition of uh, VVD, CDA, Desa Sestig, and ChristenUnie, um, but. Again, uh, looking at the polls now, um, the Christian Union, for example, could be swapped for PVDA or GroenLinks. Um, but it's w- um, so yeah, it's uh, it's we have to wait, uh, of course, uh, until we uh, uh, know what the outcome is of the election. But uh, uh, there are multiple uh, possibilities uh, right now, and Wilders could okay. always form a coalition with the PVV, of course. Even though that's yes. very unlikely, but it could. It's very unlikely. It could happen. Yeah, yeah, because it's not doesn't necessarily. Yeah, it's not um, uh, compulsory for the biggest party to um, be in government. Uh, that has also no. happened a couple of once or twice. That happens once or twice. Again, there are no rules, but you know, it's yeah. it's it's politically speaking, it's very logical to first put the initiative of, of forming a coalition with the largest party. But it is by no means required. If a if the majority of the Tweede Kamer decides that this is uh, not something that should happen, then uh, they can just uh, bypass this uh, this convention and do it other way. So all that to look forward to in the next couple of weeks, and obviously we'll keep you posted uh, with it on DutchNews.nl and on this podcast. Well, that's all that we have for you uh, this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also back us now on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Derek, I'm Paul Peters, and we'll be back next week. Music